Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Happy Father's Day. Welcome to all of our guests, those of you who are in town for, uh, for Father's Day. We're so glad that you would join us today. So we've been doing a series called Unstoppable, and today I want to talk about being unstoppable men. I don't know about you, but guys, I'm drawn to stories of courage and sacrifice. I, I'm a big fan of the miniseries uh, Band of Brothers, as it follows the history of the 101st Airborne uh, in World War II. And I, I, if you've read the book, uh, the, the miniseries does a great job at following the book as it follows the, the course of these men through boot camp and then as they parachute in to enemy, enemy territory in Germany uh, the night before D-Day. It's a, it's a great movie, and it's about courage and sacrifice. I love those types of movies, and perhaps you can think of your own favorites, Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List, Lone Survivor, Braveheart, Frozen. <laughs> movies of courage and sacrifice, and you know, Many of those are based on real stories and real men. There's one hero in my life that when I was a child learning his story and his uh, legacy of courage and sacrifice instilled in me and inspired in me this idea to greatness, to being an unstoppable man. And this was my uncle, Robbie Reisner, who our son is named after. You can go ahead and put the pictures up. This is my Uncle Robbie, uh, General Robinson Reisner, Brigadier General in the Air Force. He was a Korean War ace, shooting down eight enemy MiGs uh, over Korea. Uh, One of just a few to do that. Uh, He earned quite the reputation uh, as one of, uh, as General Welsh, the current uh, um, Chief of Staff of the Air Force, called him the greatest. Uh, fighter pilot the Air Force has ever known. Uh, shooting down as many MiGs as he did in Korea gave him a reputation not only with uh, our Air Force, but the enemy Air Force. My uncle was telling me one time he had the opportunity many years later to meet with some of the, the Russian and Korean uh, pilots that he w- would have flown against. And he said, one of, the, one of the men said to him, I wonder if we ever met in the skies. And my uncle said, I just looked him dead in the eyes and said, not possible, you wouldn't be here. (laughs) His stories were almost stories of the men of of old, of legend. The History Channel has done a series called Dogfights, and there's one called uh, Mig Alley, where they chronicle the story of my uncle as he flies uh, his, his squadron is flying on a mission and they encounter, they were called hunter killers that day. They were out to hunt down the enemy and, and shoot to kill. And they came up against a squadron of MiG fighters and it, the story goes that uh, in, in them all breaking off, he, he finds their lead guy, one of their most renowned fighter pilots, chases him back over enemy territory, waits till he's over his own base and shoots him down over his own base causing him to crash into grounded uh, planes, so destroying more planes, and then, just to rub salt in the wound, circled back and strafed the airfield, destroying more. They said he's destroyed 14 MiGs in just uh, one afternoon. One time he was flying back, and his wingmen had, uh, 
had a, a puncture in his gas tank. He lo- was losing all of his gas and was running out uh, of it and, and wasn't going to make it over to the sea. And if they could make it to the sea, they knew they could get rescued. So it said that my uncle flew his fighter uh, plane up underneath the back end of his wingman and pushed him out to sea, a maneuver they don't teach you in school, but in that moment of courage and sacrifice, knew what he had to do in order for his wingman to make it back to sea, and they did. He was the oldest fighter pilot uh, in the Air Force when the Vietnam War came. Uh, Shortly after the war began in earnest, he made the cover of Time magazine, and uh, he was a senior ranking officer. And when he was shot down, he retained that rank, though a few men outranked him. Those men were typically confined to a different area of of what we would call the Hanoi Hilton, the the area where they kept the POWs. And so he often found himself as the senior ranking officer delivering commands and orders to all of the POWs uh, in Vietnam. It also meant that he took a great deal of the torture. He chronicles that in his book called The The Passing of the Night, My Seven Years as a POW in Vietnam. In talking to a a, a local hero, one of our POWs from Vietnam who lives here locally, we were reminiscing and he said, you know what? He said, I was shot down three years after your uncle. And he was in solitary confinement and about three months in, he said, I got this tap on the wall. He said, you know, your uncle helped develop a communication system. He said, that tap on the wall told me to keep my chin up. You can do it. Don't give up. Robbie Reisner, he said, I knew your uncle was in solitary confinement. So for him to try to communicate was even more dangerous for him. But he wanted us to know that he was doing all right and that we should keep our chin up, that we should keep going, not to give up. He said, he said, honestly, he said, after three months, I was, I was ready to give up. And he said, but when I got that message, knowing your uncle was in the hole, he said, I knew I could make it. Stories of courage and sacrifice. They asked my uncle one time what the best moment was. And he said, it was when I was released from solitary and I, I gathered a group of 40 men for a church service, which was strictly prohibited by the communists. He gathered them and they, they were then uh, caught having this church service. And my uncle being the leader, they dragged him away. And he said, all 40 of the men started singing, God bless America. And he said, I walked taller at that moment than I'd ever uh, done before. And so Ross Perot, a good friend of his, says, what, did you, what, what were you thinking? He said, I felt like I was nine feet tall and could go bear hunting with a stick. <laughs> One of my heroes who would say the reason he made it was faith in God and faith in his fellow brother. He was an unstoppable man. I got the opportunity to go to his funeral this past January at Arlington National Cemetery as uh, all branches of our military honored him that day. He was given full rights. I've never experienced anything quite like it. But to hear General Welsh and Ross Perot do his eulogies of this great hero of mine was inspiring. He was truly an unstoppable man. To be an unstoppable man, you have to have courage to do uncommon things. And I read through scripture of stories of Samson and David and Daniel and Gideon and Elisha. These these were unstoppable men of scripture. Reading through scripture one time, I stumbled across some stories I thought I had never heard these before. And as you read through scripture, you'll find these stories. I always say the Bible's not boring. 
you're boring. <laughs> Read the Bible. There's some really great things in there. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, if you have your scriptures, go ahead and flip to 2 Samuel. It's about a third of the way in after 1 Samuel. It's on version as well. We have some notes you can follow along on the live version of, uh, of version as well. 2 Samuel, starting in chapter 23, verse 8, is a list of what is called David's mighty men. And I'll just briefly read through these this morning. But the stories are inspiring. Verse 8 of chapter 23, 2 Samuel. These are the names of David's mighty men. Josheb, a Tachamite, something like that, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. That was a good day. Verse 9, next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ohite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when he, they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pastamim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. So you taunt them and then you retreat. But he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the troops returned to Eleazar but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shema, son of Aji, the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shema took his stand in the middle of a field. He defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief men came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rapham. At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. Skip to verse 18. Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed, and so he became as famous. Verse 20. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehida. Those are some interesting stories recorded for us about David's mighty men. Now, it's interesting to note that these men must have been drawn to David, not simply because he was a leader, but because of what kind of leader he was. David was a mighty man, known for his exploits. Perhaps you've heard of a little incident called David and Goliath. He has killed his own giants. He was a man who did exploits. And these weren't perfect men, but these were men who were drawn to David because of his reputation. These, these guys in my book were like special op, operation forces. These weren't just soldiers, they were operators. Anytime I read these stories about special forces, they don't call them soldiers, they call them operators. That, that's like, I must be another level above just being a soldier. But they were inspired to greatness because David... He was a leader of courage and sacrifice and because of David's love for God. It wasn't because he was a leader but because he also was a follower and they were loyal to him. So these were mighty men. 
These were mighty warriors. Unstoppable men have courage to do uncommon things. Do these kind of men exist today? Oftentimes, each generation sees it in the past generation. But what about today? Are there any mighty men in this room? I would challenge us men that the key to becoming an unstoppable man is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses 13 and 14 when the apostle Paul simply writes this these words be on your guard stand firm in the faith be courageous be strong do everything in love this morning I want to just walk through those quickly if you're taking notes they'll be on the screen as well The first thing, be watchful or be on your guard. The idea of the watchman in in that century was somebody who was up on the tower at the wall, watching the horizon, watching to see who was approaching the city. Their job was to make sure there wasn't enemy forces coming against them. They didn't have radar. They didn't have drones that would fly around looking for the enemy. They simply had men on the towers to watch. These were the watchmen. These were the gatekeepers. Anybody wanting to come into the city was allowed in by the gatekeeper and only by the gatekeeper. Now, what about you, men? Are you the gatekeeper? Are you a watchman? Whether you're a dad or whether you're a single man, are you a watchman and a gatekeeper of your house, of your mind? Do you keep track of what you're letting into your house? For surely, if if some strange man knocked at your door... You wouldn't let him in. And yet, when your TV is turned on, when your internet comes alive, what is it that you're letting into your house? Who are you letting into your house? Are you being a gatekeeper? When you must determine priorities, do you take the lead and use scripture to determine what it is your house will follow and what your household will do? I would offer to you that first you must watch yourself. We've talked about momentum over the last few weeks, that being unstoppable means having momentum. And for us men, it's claiming small victory after small victory. It's not just the big things in our life, but when you begin to have small victories in the area of watching what you're letting into your mind, what are you looking at? What types of ideas are you letting into your mind The question for each of us is what do you run to when you're tired, you're angry, you experience success or defeat? Are you turning on your computer late at night to see things that perhaps would draw you away from the heart of Christ? I would challenge us to watch the scriptures. Let them inform our worldview and not let our culture inform us of our view of scripture but rather scripture our view of culture i love what first chronicles says in chapter 12 from the issacharites who understood the times and knew what israel should do these were a group of men when israel was trying to figure out what they should do for a king the men of issachar stood up and said we understand the times and we know what israel should do do you understand the times that you're living in the challenges that face your children are you aware of what those are. It's one thing to look back at how we were raised and say, well, that's how it used to be. I walked uphill both ways in the snow in the middle of summer. It was 100 degrees and I had to shovel, you know, all these different things that we we look back. But do you understand what your children are going through, what they're facing? Have you listened to them? 
to know what times and what is facing, what challenges are facing your family? Are you studying the scripture to be aware of what God is calling your family to? Know the times. In the stories we read of David's mighty men, the man named Shema defended a field of lentils. He was fighting for some beans. But Shema knew something. He was being watchful. That field was not the Philistines. That was Israel's field. And therefore, it was God's field. And he wasn't about to let the enemy take that field. And while everybody else retreated, he stood his ground and fought for that field. Perhaps he alone knew the importance of that field Perhaps he knew its strategic value. And what about you men? Are you letting the enemy just take little things here or there because you don't see the strategic value in it? But that one field may make all of the difference. Warriors don't fight for nothing. My gut says Shema knew that something was at stake with that field. Whether it was Israel's reputation or God's or his family. He was going to stand that day and fight. So men, this week, observe yourself. Perhaps you'd be brave enough to invite someone to observe you and give you feedback on your life and your priorities. Observe your family and what things are you letting in to your household. Because unstoppable men have courage to do uncommon things. The second part of that scripture says they stood in faith. They stand firm in the faith. I like the part of David's mighty men was Eleazar. He stood his ground until his hand froze on his sword. Something about standing firm in the faith that we find littered throughout the New Testament that Paul consistently says, stand firm, stand firm. This is an act of defiance to stand firm against all that would push against you. And I think for men who want to be unstoppable, men of faith, it has to be born of experience, not just knowledge. How have you experienced Christ? Not just what church services have you attended, or what do you know about him as far as theology or doctrine, but how have you experienced him? Because when it's time to go to battle, I'll take the man who has experience over the man who simply has the knowledge. And when you have experience, you can't be shaken. I read the stories of the disciples in the New Testament. Their knowledge of Christ moved beyond just having met him and having been an acquaintance, but having experienced him. For they could not be shaken. Think about the persecution you find throughout the uh, book of Acts. As these men are arrested, they're jailed, they're tortured. On through history, the martyrs that have given their lives for the cause of Christ, it must have been more than just something they knew from a book, but something they've experienced from a life-giving book called the Bible. They did not retreat. There is no retreat from God's will. When everyone else was retreating, Eleazar stood his ground. He fought. And I understand this. Following God's will in my life usually is never safe. It's not comfortable. 
In fact, Erwin McManus writes in his book, Unstoppable Force, the center of God's will is not a safe place, but the most dangerous place in the world. But then he clarifies it. To live outside of God's will puts us in danger. To live in this makes us dangerous. To, to live in the center of God's will is a dangerous place, but it makes us dangerous to the enemy. Eleazar that day fought until his hand could not be removed from his own sword. I believe that following God's will, while dangerous, while it makes you dangerous, it was never meant to be a sleepy afternoon nap in a meadow full of lilies, but an adventure of epic proportion. It should scare you, but don't retreat. Continue to fight on. Let your hand freeze to your sword. This metaphor of the sword, the New Testament calls the Bible the sword of the Spirit. So men, my challenge to you, let your hand freeze to the sword. Use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, so much that your hand freezes to it. And that it can only be pried from your cold, dead hands. I love that phrase. Know Scripture. Use Scripture. Teach Scripture in your family. This week, men, lead your family in reading the Scripture together and praying Take time to study the scriptures through Right Now Media, a resource available to every one of you. Go on, on our website, c2church.com, and available to you is the Netflix of Bible study called Right Now Media. You can subscribe online on our website to get all those things. And there's stuff for children and for teens and for parents and for men. Unstoppable men have courage to do uncommon things. The third part of this scripture says, Be courageous. When I looked up the translation of this, here's the Greek word, andrizomai. It means nothing to you or me, but andrizomai. The literal translation is this, act like men, which they translated be courageous. I like the English standard version because it actually uses the phrase act like men. It's interesting. Now, this is not a knock on women, Okay. But think back to culture then. When they said, act like men, what were they saying? They obviously had this picture, perhaps, of David's mighty men, or of Gideon, or the men of of renown of their faith in ancient Israel. And when they said, act like men, there was an expectation that men were courageous. And so this is why it's translated, be courageous. I feel Christianity at times has been emasculated. And we sing songs that often sound like Jesus is our boyfriend. We tried to butch it up a little bit more this morning. The songs really are okay when you understand that Jesus was not a weakling. Jesus was a man of strength and courage. When we talk about courage, it's not just courage a, a thinking I can make it through that situation but it's the courage to fight I think of William Wallace in the movie Braveheart who brought the fight to his enemy he did not wait for his enemy he fought for what's right and just 
Men, do you fight for what's right and just? Do you fight against the spiritual enemies attacking you and your family and those around you? Do the enemies of God shake when you pray each morning? Do they know your name? I enjoyed reading stories of my great uncle in the Korean War and the Vietnam War that said every fighter pilot in the enemy Air Force knew his name. They tried to hunt him down. Could it be said of you when you hit your knees that the enemy knows you're praying? Because you know when you have the courage to fight, you know what it does? It inspires other men. It inspires other men to action. It inspires all of those around you to action, to be a warrior. My favorite story of, this, of David's mighty men is of Benaiah. He struck down two of Moab's best men. Notice it didn't say he struck down an average man with a buddy of his. It said he struck down two of Moab's best men. He went down into a pit and killed a lion on a snowy day. Think about that for a second. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. It doesn't say, say he fell into a pit where he discovered a lion. And it says he went. He purposefully went in. Does anybody else get the significance of that? It's not like he was looking for a cat on a sunny day and found it in a tree. He jumped into a pit and killed a lion. It almost makes me think he's like some of you rednecks. <clears throat> which, which I desire to be, by the way. I just, I'm not there yet, so I can't include myself in that. But you hunt things, which I have done very little of. And you stalk them, and you, you track them. And I wonder if Benaiah was doing that that day, that he stalked this lion. Perhaps he told his buddies or his mama that morning, hey mom, I'll see you later. What you doing? Oh, I'm going to go hunt the lion today. And he stalked the lion. Perhaps he dug the pit himself and wait, wait for that lion. Scripture doesn't tell us. It just says he went into the pit with a lion on a snowy day. Perhaps this lion was terrorizing his community. He didn't wait for the lion. He went out and got it. Men, what about you? What lions are prowling around our community that we can no longer wait for, but we, like Benaiah, must go jump in the pit and kill the lion? I could go on and on about that story. But in that moment of killing the lion, this, this could have been a very bad break for him, considering a, a lion is about 500 pounds has better ears and eyes and sense of smell than a human, can run 35 miles an hour. I'm not quite there yet. This is quite a formidable opponent. This could have been a very bad day for Benaiah or a very big opportunity. It was a very big opportunity for him. Put that on your resume. I killed two of Moab's best men, killed an Egyptian with his own spear, Oh yeah, and I killed a lion in a pit after chasing it down. When, when King David was looking for someone to lead his bodyguard and he's sorting through resumes, 
guess what sticks out? Whoa. Two of Moab's best men, an Egyptian with his own spear. I like that. Killed a lion. That's just crazy. Get this cat on the phone. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) What an opportunity that comes your way in the face of danger. That means, men, you must take the lead. Lead yourself well first. And lead your family. Lead your wives well. Wives, help your husband lead your family well. I know oftentimes, men, we say, well, if she would just, and, it, and, and if she didn't do this, and can I just say, no, just stop. You just do what you need to do. I always tell my children, there's only one person you can control, yourself. So men, lead yourself, lead your family well. Kids are not good at listening, but they are great at imitating. Wives are great at listening, but they will also imitate you. How are you treating your wife? We often want our wives to lead the way in serving us so that, oh, and then, then I'll, I'll jump in on that bandwagon. No, men, lead the way. I know what you're thinking. Well, she'll take advantage of me. Let her. Well, I might get hurt. Fine. Be a man. Take it. Jesus did. Jesus knew that he would be taken advantage of and that he would get hurt. And yet he went to the cross and died for you and me. I'm thankful for my wife. She empowers me to lead. She gives me respect, both in private and in front of the kids. She speaks well of me and in public speaking words that are almost true of me. (laughs) She compliments and she encourages me. She trusts me. And men, I've earned it. I've tried very hard over 17 years. I've, I've made the tough decisions. I've been humble. I've asked for forgiveness and admitted the one or two times that I've been wrong. I avoid the appearance of evil. What does that mean in, a, in an everyday man's life? It means I don't go anywhere with someone by myself who is not my wife or daughters. Not by myself. And that creates a lot of inconvenience in my life. But I don't want to have any appearance of evil in my life. I turn the computer screen in my office and at home so that everyone can see it. You ever think about that, men? Where's your computer screen? Why is it where it, why is it where it is in your house? What are you looking at that others shouldn't be looking at? I try to make it easy for my wife to trust me. That means she has all the passwords to everything that I have passwords to. My Facebook account, my emails. She has access to all those things. I know what you're thinking. Well, they're mine. I need my privacy. No, you don't. When you married her, you gave up that right. You invited her in and said, we will become one. 
Do you really need to be on that computer late at night by yourself? What are you watching in your man cave? The motto I've learned from some of my friends in military, in sacrifice I find life. Men, we're called to die. When Paul wrote in the New Testament, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, he also submitted the challenge to the, Lord, uh, to the men. Men love your wives as Christ loved the church and died for her. Women, you get to submit. Submission only comes from a, power, a, a position of power. But men, you get to die. How's that for a trade-off? <laughs> what does that look like? Men, it means you give up your hobbies, your free time, your guy time, your me time. You sell your favorite thing. You empty that box of memories that remind you of how great you used to be. I know many of you say, well, I, you know, I need that. You know what I found? Every time I've been willing to give those things up, my wife says, you know what? You should go out with the guys tonight. You should go fishing. You should go shoot a deer. <laughs> she wants me to have those things. She wants me to do those things. Oftentimes, she wants me to get out of the house. Good or bad reasons, I don't know. But the challenge of our culture is that we want to extend adolescence in, in our life. We, we want to continue to play, to play video games into all hours of the night forsaking our families. And I can only say this as a recovering video game addict. And so we let those things go. We become men. And we teach our boys what it means to be men. It means that at times we fake it. What? That means I start to act in ways that are uncommon, that I'm not used to. Because you remember when you were a boy and you began to pretend like your dad and the, and the older men around you? You had to pretend. You had to begin to imagine yourself. And so for me and my brother, it was having toy guns and running around playing army, right? And this was before they had the bright orange tips too. We used to do that. We played swords. We played, you know, played all these things. We were trying to act like these men of renown, mighty warriors. And so it is today. Men, you might have to pretend a little bit. You may not be the man that you want to be. So I would say, go ahead and begin to pretend like you are. You may not feel like a mighty warrior. So I would say, Start acting like one. Fake it till you make it. That's the only way you'll learn. And you teach those coming up behind you. Teach them to fight for what's right and just. I know we live in a society that says no guns. Don't teach boys to fight. Men, can I say this? Dads, teach your boys to fight. Because one day they're going to need to fight. And they're going to need to know how. And greater than that, they're going to need to know what to fight for. The prayer I pray with my son every night. I'm not going to cry. I pray with him. God, help him to be a mighty warrior. To fight for what's right and just. Give him strength and courage and faith. The other night, Robbie says, Dad, can I, can I pray? I said, sure. So we're sitting there and he puts his hand on my hands. He said, God, help my dad to be a mighty warrior. That's still my prayer. 
that I too would be a mighty warrior. Teach your boys to fight, that their hands are not meant to hurt, but to help. These are the conversations Robbie and I have. When we wrestle together, I remind them, remember your hands are to help, not hurt. And though your sisters might pinch you, your hands are to help, not to hurt. So this week, men, I challenge you, be a mighty warrior. Chase the lion. The scripture continued by saying, be strong. Men, the only way I know to be strong is by being weak. And letting the Spirit of God fill in those parts where I just know I could never do it. There's parts of my life I figure I can do on my own. But it's that which I can't do that I need God to come in by His Spirit. This is what it is meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit of God is to be able to do the very things that you know are impossible. It means I must learn more. So I read, there's a great blog out there called All Pro Dad. It's so challenging. Tony Dungy uh, runs that site. I often read and reread a book called What Every Woman Wishes Every Man Knew. I just want to recommend that to all you guys out there. Find that book. The story of Benaiah is in a book called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, longest title in the history of books. But these are things that help me become unstoppable because I want to be an unstoppable man who has uh, courage to do uncommon things. Men, this week, ask the Lord to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Band, would you come as we close this morning? Read a a story and, and watched a movie recently of a man named Lieutenant Michael Murphy, a Navy SEAL. Him and three of... His crew were sent to scout a high-value target in Afghanistan. When they found him, they were to report back, and then the rest of the, the crew, the quick reaction force, would come and help capture this, this terrorist. Things went wrong on that mission. These four men found themselves surrounded by insurgents having been shot several times and having fallen down numerous cliffs in their attempt to evade and escape two men and Lieutenant Michael Murphy were trying to survive deciding what to do they could not get their communications up Lieutenant Michael Murphy loving these men more than his own life grabbed a satellite phone, handed his belongings to his crewmen, and he said, I'm going to go make a call. And he knew the only place to get reception would be on in a very exposed cliff. And he made his way under fire to get out the call that would save only one of these men. The closing part of this scripture in 1 Corinthians says, simply says, do everything in love. Do everything in love. If you don't love something in life, you have nothing to fight for. And a mighty warrior has to have something to fight for. 
Jesus Christ was a mighty warrior. He wasn't a wimp. I mean, he walked into the temple one day and what he saw made him righteously anger for the cause of God. And the scripture says that in that moment that he began to drive the money changers and these people taking advantage of, uh, of uh, the religious people, it says he makes his own whip. I don't think you can get any manlier than that. Making your own whip. Jesus had something to fight for. It says that, following that passage of scripture, it says that zeal for his father's house would consume him. So the question for you, mighty warrior, is what consumes you? What consumes you? Because what consumes you, that is your love. That's where you put every thought and point of energy into. And I can tell you this, Jesus was consumed with doing the will of his father And the will of his father was to demonstrate love to all of humankind. I love what Zephaniah verse 3, chapter 3 verse 17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Our God is a mighty warrior, a consuming fire whose love for us is all-encompassing. It says that this mighty warrior sings. That almost seems, like, how does it, do you even see warriors singing? I can tell you this. You go to FIFA, you go to the World Cup, stadium filled with men who've painted their bodies in the color of their country. And for love of country, they begin to sing these anthems. Have you ever been to a soccer game like that where they just begin to sing the anthem of their country? I'm sure there are women singing too, but the voices of men, sometimes up to 100,000 people in the, in the stadiums, they begin to sing the songs of their team. Men can sing. There's nothing more rousing than hearing men sing. But that's what a mighty warrior does. So men, what are your priorities this week? What's consuming you? What do you love? To love for God and then love for your family, love for others. Scripture tells us that's all that will remain when this life is over is anything that was motivated by love. So what's your priority this week, men? Will you be an unstoppable man who has courage to do uncommon things? Do we have any mighty warriors in this room today? Do we have any mighty warriors in this room today? Let me hear you. Rise up, men. Do we have any men in this room today? What about you? Stand to your feet today, men. There you go. Be a mighty warrior, men. I know what you were thinking, because some of you were like, that was me. Stay standing, men. If you're not standing, stand up. Some of you were thinking, well, is he asking us to stand? A mighty warrior doesn't wait for permission. 
He rises up. Would you help me pray for our men today, ladies? Would you pray for us that we would be the mighty warriors that God has destined us to be? Men, if you're thinking to yourself, I'm not a mighty warrior, stop thinking that way. You are. In the book of Judges, there's a story of Gideon who's hiding out because of enemy oppression. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, mighty man of valor, mighty warrior. And he says, what? (laughs) Did you not know I'm hiding? I'm, I'm not a mighty warrior. But you know the great thing about Jesus? He sees you for what you can and should be, not for who you see yourself as. And I prophesy over each and every one of you, you're a mighty warrior. Father God, You see us in all our imperfections, but you also see us as we could be, your mighty warriors. So I pray for each dad, each man who finds himself battling against pursuits of the lust of flesh, the pleasures of this world, the the idols of success and material possessions, and I ask that you instill in us your spirit that it would push out and replace the spirit that causes us to to see things from the world's perspective, that your spirit would cause us to see things from your perspective. And so, Lord, I pray today you'd help us to be mighty warriors, men of valor. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Hey, we are so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com.